Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Uh, would you be with us today, all, all day, but especially in this moment? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, uh, I was thinking uh, today I wore burgundy and blue, and I thought, well, if I fall on my face, the carpet's burgundy, I'll disappear. If I, if I start sweating it up I'll, and I take my jacket off, I'll disappear behind this because it's blue. And in some ways, I know that's ridiculous, but in some ways, I kind of always hope that happens. You know, uh, as Randy was kind of leading us in this morning, he, he prayed that we would hear something exceptional. Are you uh, expectant? Are you expecting that God can speak to you right where you are, given where you are today? Uh, for us as a church, for us individually, uh, and for anybody who may be online, that the Lord can take His Word, and it's powerful, and it can profoundly impact our lives. I mean, I, I think after now some 30-plus years of walking in an increasingly intimate way with Jesus, I, I sometimes forget where I've come from and the ways in which I thought and the, the, the various all the things that I construed in my mind about what was important, about what my worldview was and all those things and how radically different that is and what peace that gives me. And then it's very difficult to go back and think, and yet I can remember moments of chaos and utter despair in my own life. And some of you may be different places. In, well, we're all different places in our journeys, but it's always important. It doesn't matter whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years or for five minutes. His word can exceptionally transform the way in which you view your life, your place in it, and it can absolutely change the, your, your mind, your emotions, your will. Everything can be transformed. And I'm praying that in that way I disappear and the word becomes profoundly impactful for you this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 8. I know we've been there for a bit and we're not going to progress too much farther today. But remember, when we're in Luke, it doesn't matter where we start. We're going to end up all over the Bible, as is the case. Uh, many of you are discovering that. Uh, it's not just about learning a particular passage or a letter that was written to a particular church, you know, 2,000 years ago. It's, it's, it's much more comprehensive that and it speaks to us in ways that, well, that are really, truly unimaginable. Are you ready for that? Well, let's do it. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. Very interesting little encounter. I'm going to talk a little bit to you about family, as was alluded, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus. And I'm calling today's message, Blurring the Lines. That second song, uh, if you were, have ever been with me in Jerusalem, they were singing that over the backdrop of Jerusalem. And that's uh, where Jesus literally and physically came to earth, and it blurred the lines between heaven and and this dimension we call earth, which is time-bound, space-bound, and momentary. We will enter eternity uh, in very short order, very short order. So blurring the lines, very interesting encounter, family, and then we're going to look at the divinity of Jesus, the God status of Jesus. Now, we talk about this all the time, but maybe in a different way that will capture your imagination and maybe drive you to your knees. I hope it does. Luke chapter 8, verse 19. <clears throat> and his mother and brothers... Now, this is obviously during uh, a big teaching that he was doing. There were lots of people crammed into a place. And it said his mother and brothers came to him. And they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. 
And you would think, well, come on, backstage pass, it's my family, let them in. I mean, come on, this is mom, this is mom. I mean, what are we going to do here? And then it, it appears quite callous, his response. He said, uh, well, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God, and then they do it. Now, was this callous? Was this loving? Was this in bad taste? I mean, this is his mother. Now, his brothers, they're a little fickle. I mean, they were a little fickle. They didn't believe that, his, that Jesus, their brother, it wouldn't be till much later that they had seen a resurrected Jesus they had they'd encountered. Uh, well, this, this is much more than a brother. This is, well, we believe that this is God in human flesh. This is God with us, Emmanuel. They believe, but at this point, they didn't believe. So I could see maybe the brothers, we'll keep the brothers outside. But his mom, are you kidding me? Come on. I mean, at least get your mom up where she can, you know, sit right there and give her a little privilege. And then he turns it and he says, wait a minute. Anybody who hears and does, hears my words and does them, these are my mothers and my brothers and my fathers and my sisters. Now, was God in any way disparaging the very design for which originally God had created the human family, the family that would then populate the earth, starting with Adam and Eve, or, or was, was God, was Jesus in any way disparaging the human family? Obviously not, and we'll see that clearly. Genesis 1, 27 and 28, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, families are going to be important to me. It's part of my design. Uh, this is how you're going to grow up with some protection and guidance, and hope, hopefully it's a holistic view of a family, and, and, this, is, and this is really going to give, uh, you know, young, you know, Emerson, my grandson, is now not quite two weeks old, and he's already grown, they say, two inches, and he still looks kind of like an old man to me, but all babies look like old men to me. I'm sorry. No, he looks cute in the pictures that they can get him to open his eyes, but anyway, you know, he's in that infant stage, but uh, he's pretty open to, well, he couldn't make it on his own. I'll just put it that way. Couldn't make it on his own. So we need the family, the family unit. It says, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living things that, things that move on the earth. So family, without any question, is part of God's design. Kids are part of design. Sheila Lee once asked her brother-in-law, the father of her four boys, if you had to do it all over again, would you have kids? And he said, absolutely, just not these four. So uh, family, I mean, it's God-ordained. It's challenging, but it's, God, it's a God-ordained instrument. We, we know that. Exodus chapter 20 then tells how children are to respect and honor their parents, honor your father and mother, that your days may be what? Prolonged in the land of which the Lord has given you. Was Jesus honoring or not honoring his mother? I mean, come on, it's his mom. Let her in. Let, let her come in. She should have clearly a place of privilege. Why is he now seeming to move away from his own biological family, at least in part? Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4, uh, Paul, writing the church at Ephesus, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is, this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction 
of the Lord. So is it design? Is family design? Of course it is. God, it's a good thing. It's wonderful. Well, what about marriage, the very foundation of growing a family? What, what about that? Bonnie McFarland said this. She said, once, I once gave my husband the silent treatment for an entire week. By the way, this never happens with Lord and me. An entire week of silent treatment, and at the end he declared, hey, we're getting along pretty great lately, aren't we? Right? So sometimes you can feel, no, but it truly is the design. It's the absolute design of God. Marriage is the foundation. Family, kids, it's the it's foundation, the design for which God created us. And let me tell you something. Marriage is absolutely significant. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So let me just say, Jesus seeming to lower the idea of biological family in this instance is not the case at all. What he's really doing is he is elevating what we call spiritual family. Let me ask you a question this morning. What about orphans and widows? I, I was watching something this last week. Laura and I like to, or I like to tape it, and she kind of cherry selects a little bit on 60 Minutes. I enjoy some of the 60 Minutes stuff, not all of it, but some of it. And they had a case now where uh, maybe some of you have seen it uh, in Alabama. There's a huge river there that runs through. It's called Africa Town, And they've actually discovered a ship, a, the last remaining slave ship that was known. It was already illegal at this point, obviously. And they brought from West Africa a two-month journey for which these precious, God-ordained, God in the image of God people were thrust into a hull that was not more than five feet tall. They couldn't even stand up. They were naked and they were, had to be there in their own, well, in their own, their own mess and everything for two months. Can you even fathom? And the ship ended up working its way up this large river in Alabama. And this is finally where they had been contracted. A particular man had decided to buy this. I think it was around 110 slaves in the Shipmaster, and when they were finished, they end up burning the ship, and it sunk there, and they never found it. And the water's so murky that they can't even see. So they have the sonar equipment now, and they were actually able to find it. And there's been some uh, feeling now. And what happened is many of those slaves and their descendants live right there in Alabama, in Africa Town, and they are still within a mile or two of where generations, 150 plus years ago. Their own ancestors were brought over against their will. Chattel slavery. It's a horrific blight on America. It's a horrific blight on our history. Well, what about those disenfranchised, displaced West Africans? And what about them and their biological family? If the design were to be the preeminent thing, the family was to be the preeminent thing, what happens when you've been ripped away from your family? Now what? Many, of the, many churches emerged out of that in many of those West Africans today, and they showed several of these churches that still worshiping now Jesus, and they have family. They do have family. They have spiritual family. It's powerful. But also, think about it on the other side. What about the descendants? Did you know that the, the family here, that the, the owner of, this, um, of these slaves who purchased it, their family still lives in Africa town, and their descendants... So rather than, that's that has to be incredible shame, certainly now, 60 Minutes, Expose, and all this, and their names are there, and they didn't, they didn't want to be part of this 
this conversation about their ancestors, but in some ways they've also lost family because of the shame and the and the and it should be, but even though they may not have been personally responsible, they've still benefited in some ways from what happened uh, 150 plus years ago. A lot of people don't have families. Many of you sitting here or watching may say, you know, I don't even have family. Family doesn't mean, or it means something very negative to you. Maybe you've suffered abuse or abandonment or whatever it is. What if Jesus elevated the biological family to the ultimate? Well, he didn't because he said, look, if you hear and do the words that I speak to you, you are part of a new and profound common unity community. And we talk about it all the time here at Church of the Red Door. We are a community. We are bound together by our followership of this God-man named Jesus. Have you ever thought about it like that? You need to. Look, if, you, if you're the product of a healthy biological family, that is a blessing in your lives. But many in the hearing of my voice today will not be products of a healthy and nice pattern that they had in their own mother or father, maybe a product of divorce or early death or whatever. Maybe you were even in foster care. I don't know, but I will tell you, it is really challenging to imagine that Jesus would say, this is everything. I designed it. It's important, yes, but it's everything. Well, it can't be because of the chaos that we live in in the world that we know. And so Jesus now elevates spiritual community in a very profound way. This is a very important statement that he makes. And it's, again, not belittling the design of God. It is elevating for those who are truly the orphan and the widow, those who are disenfranchised or ashamed of their own background. You can become part of a very vibrant and whole community. It's called those who follow Jesus. Not all churches are healthy, um, but I'm telling you, all true followers of Jesus are being trans transferred into the kingdom of light as we speak from the domain of darkness into the domain of light and there is a powerful connection there for some of you it is everything it is your lifeline and that too was the plan of god ephesians chapter one again we we did a whole series on ephesians if you'll remember uh verse three it said blessed be the god and father of jesus who has blessed us with all these blessings in heavenly places again blurring the lines here just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless, he predestined us to what? Adoption as, son, as sons and daughters, I would add, through Jesus to himself. Again, spiritual family, Galatians 3, 26. For you are all sons of God, speaking to the church in this Galatian region, through faith in Jesus. So you believe in Jesus, you're part of also a spiritual community. So you may be here this morning or today with your spiritual, your biological family, and there may be wholeness, there may be chaos, I don't know what that looks like, but uh, there may be real problems. But I will tell you, you're also here with spiritual family if you are truly a follower of Jesus. That's big. That's life, that's life transforming. And of course, we fail one another all the time. Birthdays are forgotten, you know. Different things. Someone's sick, and they don't get they didn't get the call. And it, it, if if there's one thing pastoring that leaves, keeps me up at night is that somebody didn't get a call that they should have gotten. And we work hard to do that, but I know we drop the ball. But we still have the desire to be a spiritual family, and it's significant. 
How does family, again, how can they be spotted? Well, they can be spotted again by those who have ears to hear that can hear his word and those who are making an intentional effort to do it, to walk it out. There is what I call the great delusion. Let me ask you a question. So if, you, if your account got hacked, your computer account, for those of you, I hope you all have some kind of personal computer, uh, it was the, the vision of Bill Gates. Where one day everybody's going to have their own personal computer, and by golly, it happened. I mean, everybody has it. I couldn't have imagined having it in a handheld phone and I have a computer there, but it's just amazing, the technology even over the last 20 years, just amazing, handheld devices and all this. But if you got hacked and you knew and believed that you had been hacked, would you do anything or say, ah, well, you know, it just happens? And you knew that there was somebody out there that had all your information, your social security number, your birth date, your passwords, and all that. They had access to everything, and you said, well, you know, I, I believe it. I absolutely believe it. But then you did nothing about it. You didn't call LifeLock or whatever these organizations are. You didn't, you didn't try to, you know, call your credit card companies and cancel credit cards. Of course, you would immediately be put into motion to counter this hack. Because why? Because you believe that you were hacked. There's no way you can hear Jesus' words and then continue to say, you can say it, but it's delusional thinking to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not even interested in what he said. And when I hear what he said, I really don't even make it my intention to do it. It is a delusion. It's, there are many that come to church every week. They have neither ears to hear. They have they have not the inclination to even do something. To, if they hear the voice of the Spirit through his word, through a sermon, or through a friend or something, there's just no intention to do it. They delude themselves. The Bible talks a lot about that, Paul and his pastorals and others. There's going to be a time people are going to live in a delusional way. They're going to hold to a form of godliness, young Timothy, but they're going to deny its power. They live under, again, the great delusion. Look, if you're a follower, I remember early on in my walk, I did some kind of outrageous things, and it was a kind of a toxic mixture of a desire to please God. I mean, I'm talking the first year or so that I began to follow Jesus, kind of a toxic mixture in some way, because, but I really was attempting to do what Jesus said, but it was mixed with all my own intention, my own desires, my own thing. I was going to make all my world work out, and then I'm but I did have a desire. And so I think there's a steady progression that happens in your life that you become more informed and more mature in your ability to do it. You know, Nike says, just do it. Well, uh, I see some great, amazing things that happen when people first come to Jesus, but it takes a long time to more effectively and fruitfully do it, to do the work that Jesus is calling you to do. And over time, it becomes more pure. But it doesn't matter whether you're an infant in Christ or someone who's quite mature in Christ. Just the passion to do the will of God. It may involve, you know, well, you know, I'm just going to go from, you know, drinking, uh, you know, five days a week to drinking four days a week. You say, well, that's ridiculous. You should just, you know, quit drinking because you're an alcoholic. And all. But I'm just telling you, early believers, they begin, you begin the process of doing it. And it may not look, and that's why we have to be so cautious not to be judgmental. You got somebody there actually trying to do the works of Jesus, but again, they're kind of a toxic mixture of all kinds of things. And then you see people have been walking with Jesus, they've learned, and the Lord has begun to do a sanctifying work in their life. And they actually, they do some amazing things. It just takes time. 
you know, Paul told, again, Timothy and Titus as well, you need to appoint leaders, but make sure you don't appoint new believers. Why? Because, well, they're just a lot of them and a little bit of want to and a little, they're trying to do it, but they just don't know how. They're not informed. They're not mature in their faith. Make sure you get somebody that's been doing this for a while, that has just been doing it for a period of time. These are the followers of Jesus. Okay, so that's family, and that's what we get from these first few verses. Now I want to press on here this morning, and, and I want to look at this next scene in the life of Jesus because it is extraordinary, and I think I have maybe some thoughts about this that maybe you've thought before and maybe you haven't. Many of you will know the story. Jesus goes out, he's asleep on the boat, storms and winds come. You, learn, you can learn it as a four-year-old with a you know, in your Sunday school class, you can have heard it as some kind of something, and just in culture, it's a culturally iconic kind of story. You have all of this, but now you have specifically, you have something I think different. There's a different take on this, and I think it's an important, it's an important take, okay? So here we go. Jesus is clearly, in these next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to look at Jesus is now beginning to show that he is, in fact, the master of everything, the master of all nature, the master of the cosmos, the master. He can speak to the storm. He can do whatever he wants. He is, in fact, blurred the lines between the seen realm and the unseen realm. He is, in fact, the God-man. So he's gonna, we're going to see him over the next, uh, this week and next, Blur the line between nature, blur the line between the created beings, blur the line between the physical realm and the created fallen beings too. And we're going to see that he is the boss of it all. The boss of it all. Luke 8 verse 22 says, Now on one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. Now, it's important to see that Jesus had commanded and saying, we're going to the other side of the lake. Now, just log that in your brain. So they launched out. And as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. You know, he's relaxed. He's very relaxed. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped. They were taking on water. They're going to, they're going to, I mean, trust me, I've, Many of you have been on that lake with me. I've taken many of you on that lake. It doesn't seem like a quiet lake. And I woke. I have awakened in the morning early, and I have seen some fairly significant white caps. And I can imagine storms can blow in on the Galilee. It's about five miles wide, and uh, it, it could get a little dicey out there. And that's exactly what was happening. And they were in danger, and they came to Jesus, and, and they woke him up. And they said, now notice, they call him Master. Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, well, where, where, where is your faith? Where is your faith? And they were fearful and amazed and they said to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? Okay, so observation number one, it's important that we see because it's clear this is what Jesus is saying. Observation number one to me is that Jesus is blurred the lines. He comes down and gets in the boat with these guys. I mean, he doesn't just, he's not from a distance speaking some kind of revelatory information that they are, you know, uh, they have to take uh, uh, and, and take account of. He has actually gotten with them. Modern day, he would get in your Volkswagen and he would drive to, you know, uh, if you needed, if you had a meeting over in San Diego, Jesus, you know, hey, why don't we go, uh, why don't we go together and I'll just get in. He would get right in your Volkswagen. That's what was happening here. 
I mean, it wasn't uh, this uh, Arianism or this Docetism that, you know, had crept in, or more, I would say in this case, more Docetism, which was a philosophy layer that Jesus was just, it just was a semblance of it. But he didn't actually come down and get in a body. God didn't get in a body and get down and get in somebody's Volkswagen. No, he would never do that. But he did. He got right in the boat. Now, the difference is, the difference is that he wasn't freaking out. He wasn't freaking out at all. I mean, he gets down into your nitty-gritty. Jesus is in, now we'll take this, Jesus is in your boat of life. Jesus is in your boat. Now, you may not sense it. You may thinking, what is he doing? Why is he can he? Why is he sleeping? How many of you, even right now, I'm going to ask you, how many of you are thinking, well, Jesus, if you're out there, why are you asleep? Because can you not see the storm that I'm in right now? I mean, what are you doing sleeping? Are you even aware of what I'm going through? Can I just tell you, I've really come to the conclusion, I really have, I've come to the conclusion that my life will never be storm-free. I think especially as I began to follow Jesus more and more, the storms rather than, and that's why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel always fails in my mind, just that things are going to get better and better, and he's going to provide all your needs and healing and all that. I'm not saying he doesn't heal, that he doesn't provide, but as a core context, the longer I follow Jesus, the more persecution I feel, the more challenges I feel, the more storms, the more I feel, well, the more I feel swamped. I'm taking on water, and it feels like I'm taking on water most of the time now. I don't know if you, any of you had watched the Ryder Cup. The U.S. actually, you know, trounced my European friends, which actually was very good for me uh, because why? Well, you know, as a golf pro, I used to go to Europe all the time. And as I used to go in the old days, and I'd go over there, and they were like, oh, the American pro. But then Europe started, you know, really kicking our tails over the last 30 to 40 years, starting in the mid-'80s. And uh, now I went over there, and my, my Austrian friend said, you know, you're to me, you are like an Ethiopian ski pro. Well, I can just tell you there aren't a lot of great ski pros in Ethiopia. He goes, you're my American golf pro, because we kill you guys in the Ryder Cup. So anyway, the, they won. But one of the interesting things on the Ryder Cup was, which was fascinating to me, is some of these guys have been willing to wear something called a hoop. I didn't really know what a hoop, you know, hoop, you know, hoop. They wear this little thing, brace it around their their wrists, and then it, it takes that information and it sends to your phone or whatever, and you, you can know your heart rate, your current heart rate. And I think an, an average heart rate for a man is a, just relaxed heart rate. It's about 55, and it can be higher than that. And, and, and a, for a woman, a little higher, maybe 58, 59 beats per minute. But they can get this whoop and they can figure out. So, for instance, uh, Rory McIlroy, one of the great European stars who I, I really think a lot, the world of, he got up over a shot on the first tee, and he's wearing the hoop, and then they've got it. They've got a little counter up here, right here. This is telling his beats per minute are going up and up and up and up. And he got, you know, they got three or four, 5,000 people around the first tee, and you're trying to tee off, and the Ryder Cups, they, most of the players will say it's more pressure than a major winning a major you're playing for your country and all this and you can see he goes from 55 and 70 and 80 and 90 and 100 105 110 115 you know and you're going wow his beats per minute are going up it's natural you just got energy you got adrenaline flowing and all this and we look at jesus and it looks like 55 (laughs) storms tossing you know crazy taking on water jesus is asleep His hoop bracelet is reading 55. The disciples, on the other hand, not so much. Maybe 120, 130. We're dying here. We're perishing. 
What is going on, Jesus? Where are you? Where are you in my life? Does Jesus not care about his whoop bracelet or the whoop bracelets of those that he has been tasked to ostensibly train into the ways of the kingdom of heaven? Well, he's not. I actually went to the whoop website and I just, I, I thought, you know, I wonder what that says. They say, well, some of the things that can cause some real problems with uh, bringing up your beats per minute would be, you know, things like stress and anxiety and sleep deprivation and fatigue and could be then leads to alcohol and drugs and, you know, all kinds of things, medications and all kinds of things that, that can happen. And I can, I can just imagine modern day, you know. Well, okay, let's take it to modern day. Jesus is in your Volkswagen and you got some friends and, you know, now you're lost, your GPS went bad and you're in a storm and now it's raining and hailing or maybe, or maybe there's a fire. Since we're in California, there's a fire and it's coming over and it's about to engulf your Volkswagen and Jesus, he turned around, he's asleep. He's asleep in the Volkswagen. And you and all your friends are, you know, smoking cigarettes, chain-smoking cigarettes and, you know, drinking and doing all that. We're dying here. We're taking on, you know, we're about to burn up. And what's Jesus doing? He's the master of the universe. So here's my question to you this morning. Is Is the primary story here that followers of Jesus need to just have faith, and if they have faith, then they won't have storms? I'm asking you the question. I don't think that's the lesson at all. And the second question is, if followers of Jesus are in a storm, Jesus is going to get them through the storm every time. I don't think that's the lesson either. Do any of you know, and I mean, because we've been talking about my dear friend Jeff Hopper, who passed here in this last week or so, looks like his boat went down. Would Jesus have said, you know, just have faith? Did did Jeff not have enough faith? Really? I mean, you saw his testimony. Did Jeff not have enough faith to believe and therefore his boat went down? Is that what this story is? If you just have enough faith, the storm will go away or the boat won't go down and you'll get to where, to where you're going. I don't think that's the story. I don't think that's the story at all. Boats go down. Jesus' followers' boats go down. Eventually, your boat will go down. Your life will end. At some point, your life will will end. Why is he telling this? I think it's a function of two things. Number one, I think clearly that because they were called to go to the other side and we're going to the other side, that you will live out exactly the number of days as a Jesus follower until your journey is finished. You know, one of the things that kept popping through my mind is I've lost some very precious friends over this last six months uh, who were Jesus followers, deeply, deeply, deeply passionate Jesus followers, some of the things that really impacted me as I thought about them, you know, if you will, their boats going down, I just realized that they had finished their number of days. You know, it said about King David, he served the purposes of God and his generation. Can I just tell you, for whatever reason, now I couldn't have predicted it, nor Jeff could have predicted it, but Jeff's time was up because he served the purposes of God and his generation. The day before, he had turned 58, as I told you. He turned 58, and the, day, the next day he died. 58 years and a day, not even a full day. 58 years on the button, almost on the button. Those are the numbers ordained for him. I am bulletproof. Can I just tell you? 
People say, are you afraid to go to the Middle East? Are you afraid to? Can I say, do you realize that missionaries are being sent out all over the world all the time into very, very dangerous places? How do they do that? What extraordinary faith. Because they know they're bulletproof until the day that their time is up and their boat will go down. But why would you be freaking out? Look, the peace that this brings, folks, I don't know if you can grab this this morning. The peace that is brought here, God has the power and the authority to calm and speak to the waves in your life, and he will until the day that you're called to be with him forever. To live is Christ, to die it's gain. And the peace that this brings will bring your whoop measurement down from 120 or 130, down back down to a resting heart rate. Your life, you just don't fear death anymore. If there is tumult in your life, what does the Bible say? Psalm 65 was very clear, and Jesus was walking this out as the God-man. Psalm 65, verse 5, by awesome deeds, your answer you, uh, you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. That's what Yeshua means, Jesus, salvation. You who are the tr- excuse me, you who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and the farthest sea, who establishes the mountains by his strength, being girded with what? Might who stills the roaring of the seas, Galilee in this case the roaring of their waves as you take on water in your life and what? And the tumult of the peoples. The the peoples mean the nations, the Gentiles, the goyim, all the people. You cause the tumult to be quieted. Now, this is again written a thousand years before the time of Jesus. They who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of your signs and you make the dawn and the sunset shout for joy. Even in the storms. Can I just tell you, the world is in tumult all the time. Psalm 2, what does it say? Why are the nations in an uproar? I'll tell you why, because they're always in an uproar. I've told you that before, I will continue to tell This will always be the case until Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. There will always be political acrimony. There will always be hostility among ethnicities. There will always be hostility between male and female, between the haves and the have-nots, and class and struggle and strife. It will always be. Why? Because the whoop bracelets are going through the rock, through the ceiling. 120, 130, 140, and they don't even know how to bring it back to a resting heart rate. Where is your faith? The story here is not, be clear, let me be clear. The story here, the lesson here is not that your boat will never go down. It's that until your course is finished, he can speak to even those most tumultuous moments in your life, and he will see you through it. And if you have the confidence that he will see you through it, then your heart rate goes 10, 100, 95. And as you mature in Christ, have you ever been around those so mature? I mean, I, I, I have been around people who have confronted death and it feels that there's such peace and there's no drama. This is not an episode of the Kardashians. It's not constant drama and exhibition and f- frenetic lifestyle and, and all those kinds of things. It's not. It just isn't. The, the resting heart rate can be there. Where, where is your faith? What are you going through? What are you going through today? Where's your faith? 
Is it time for your boat to go down? Or is God still have something on his agenda for you to accomplish? What is it? Is he done with you? Are you breathing? Are you alive? But you're in a storm. I've got a lot of storms in my life right now. They're just storms. It just, and I, I won't go into it, but why? Because you've had them too. You're not interested in hearing my storms. You've got storms in your own life. But what is your whoop bracelet saying? What is it saying? If it's anything above 60, Jesus might be asking you that today, where is your faith? I still have plans for you. I can speak to the storm. You're going to get to the other side. And if not, and your boat goes down, you will have lived the life that I had preordained. What did we learn in Ephesians 1? Preordained since the foundations of the world. Your days are numbered, and they're all written in a book. Now, if that doesn't relax you and give you confidence, then you're, don't, then you're not having ears. You're not having ears to hear. So in closing... And we're going to look again. Jesus is the master of the universe. He can he, He's asleep. You may say, he's asleep in my life. Where is he? I don't have any serene picture in my life. That to me, by the way, you're always going to see mountains for me. My serene place is the mountains, right? For me, the alpine side of the mountains. You know, I like dry mountains here, but I like alpine kind of vibe, you know, and a stream and a little bit. It needs to be in the summer. I'm not as much, you know, don't take me out in the middle of January in this place. I'd be freezing to death. I get cold when it gets below 70 degrees. But there's just a place in me. That's my serene place. I, I need to be, what Jesus is saying, when the lines are blurred, you can live in that place, even in a boat in the middle of a storm. Let me say that again. This is your takeaway. Yes, I'm, I'm just firmly convinced that my life is going to have one, two, three, four, five, ten storms going at all times. By the way, some people take their spiritual family and they reduce it to such a small number of people so they have to go through less pain. I know that sounds funny, but can I tell you, when I, you're exposed through the Lynx family and the Church of the Red Door family and all the people, I mean, there are literally thousands of people I am exposed to. I am suffering through with people who are dying at all times. There's never a time where I'm not walking through in some way, whether it be distant, whether it be an occasional email, an occasional call. I am always walking through the storms of life with people, always. It's not going to change. Storms of my own family, storms within all kinds of things. I'm just telling you, I finally just resigned. Uh, you know, Lord, why are you sleeping? He's not. He's just really resting. 55. 55. As a man, 55. Whoop. 55. I want 55. There was a rock and roller, some know well here. Sammy Hagar, I can't drive 55, right? For those of you who don't know, he was the uncle of some of our people here. and you know, I can't drive 55. I'm just telling you, I can drive 55. I want my whoop to be 55. 55. Jesus, where are you? You're asleep. What's going on? He would simply respond to you this morning or today, whenever you may be watching this. Where's your faith? Let me pray, and then I'm going to bring Pastor Paul up. Lord Jesus, <laughs> you're, you were asleep. 
you're unbelievable. Of course, you knew you had the power and the authority to wake up from these, from the tumult here and simply speak to these waves and wind. But Lord, you are in our Volkswagen. You are in our whatever, our golf cart, our Volkswagen, our Mercedes Benz. You're in whatever. Lord, you are with us in life. Help us understand your nearness to us. Speak to us today. Calm the storms. We're asking you to speak to the storm. But even if it's not calm for a while, our faith is such, well, our faith is such that we just believe that, well, we just believe that you're in the boat. And you're not worried, so we today choose not to fret, not to freak out like the nations. Why are the nations in an uproar? Because they're always in an uproar. They don't have Jesus in their boat. Our task at, here at Church of the Red Door, get as many people in that boat with us where Jesus is as possible over the years to come. Thank you, Jesus, for being the master of everything. We love you in Jesus' name.